Are you a learner? Are you a strategic person? Are you more analytical? Are you an executor? Are you more of an influencer? You figure out those things and you work within your strength zone as much as possible. So you're doing the equivalent of writing with your dominant hand all day instead of doing the equivalent of what we do is writing with your non-dominant hand all day. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to introduce to you today's guest, Kurt Mercadante. Kurt has an absolutely fascinating story. He left the corporate world at age 30 to start his own agency, which he scaled to a consistent seven-figure business. But like many business owners, he eventually found himself overwhelmed and frustrated, a place where some of you listening might be right now. So Kurt made some drastic changes, firing half of his clients, charging more, and creating an outcomes-focused strategy that gave him freedom. But after the loss of his father, Kurt eventually had another dramatic shift when he realized that he lacked fulfillment. This led him to shut down his agency at peak revenue, turning his side hustle of coaching into a full-time career. Today, Kurt runs a wildly successful media, speaking, and lifestyle transformation company that's aimed at fighting apathy and conformity and really helping individuals to fight for lives of freedom and fulfillment, something that if you're listening to this podcast, I know that you are interested in. Not only that, but Kurt is also a fellow podcast host as the man behind the popular show Freedom Club Podcast. In this episode, Kurt and I dive deep into what his mindset was during those two major inflection points in his career, as well as what he does now to help people to achieve the same level of freedom and fulfillment that he was able to get to. So I know that you're going to love Kurt as much as I did, but before I share with you our conversation, I want to remind you to be sure and join our email list. This is the new way that we are giving back through the show. So when you head to dowellanddogood.co backslash join, you can sign up for our email list. And when you do that, I will make a donation in your name to nowwater.org so that we can provide a day of clean drinking water for a family in need. So head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash join so that I can make that donation on your behalf. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Kurt Mercadante. Kurt, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, well, thank you for that that intro. It's too kind, and uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time uh, having me on the show. Well, it's it's so exciting for me because you know I definitely see myself in different parts of your story. You know, being an agency owner, which we talked about a little bit before we hit record. Um, you know, but let's just dive straight in. I was I'm hoping that you can kind of set the stage for us. Like, what was life like for you growing up, and what were the beliefs around money and success that were instilled in you as a child? Growing up, I grew up in uh, the suburbs of Chicago, and we were middle class. You know did pretty well. My dad had been president of like Fortune 500 companies. And in fact, he did uh, some cool stuff like worked on the space program, designed fighter jets. And I like to say, you know, he was my hero, but I like to say he was like a real life Tony Stark, Iron Man, you know, (laughs) Uh, led the team that designed all the switches on the Boeing 777. 
So, you know, my parents growing up really let me, I was raised as sort of an only child, even though I have four siblings because my dad was married before and I have two brothers there, but they're, or I have a brother and a sister there, but they're like 20 years older than me. My mom was married before. I have two siblings from, from her, from her prior marriage, but they're like nine and 10 years older than me. So they were all out of the house. So I had, I had a lot of, did a lot of free play, superhero play. And I always thought, you know, I want to save the world. I want to save the world. My parents let me really chase that. When the movie Space Camp came out, like 1986, they scrounged their money together. They sent me to, to Space Camp. And so I was never like dampened, you know, my, my thoughts of exploration and sense of discovery were never really dampened. <clears throat> but you know, I saw my dad do things. His dad grew up during the Great Depression. Uh, actually, my dad was born in the Great Depression. And so that colored his outlook on life. And he lost his job. So he was a Fortune 500 president, all this stuff. Lost his job in his mid-50s. So this was the 80s, probably about 83, 84. And around that time, you know, the economy hadn't come back. He's 55, 54. You know, you lose your job at 54, 55 in a not great economy. It's hard to get another job. and he didn't take a dime from anyone. You know what he did after like a year, year and a half? He got a paper route. He started delivering newspapers. And so he and my mom would get me or it would probably wake me up around three or four in the morning, whatever it was. I was nine or 10 at the time. And we would go to the warehouse and bag the newspapers. You have to fold them, bag them. And then we would drive around. He would drive and I'd lean out the back. We had an old station papers out. And I hated it. I hated it. But, you know, all the schooling I've had, it was one of the most valuable lessons I ever had that he was willing to do whatever it took to make it work. And he didn't want to sit back and say, I'm going to take a check from whoever, the state, the federal government, whatever it is, I am going to make this work. He took a job doing that. It was very humbling. And then he decided, you know what? No one's hiring me. 55, I'm going to reinvent myself as a management consultant. He was a mechanical engineer. Went on to have another 20-year career in which he did some of the things I mentioned, designing all the switches in the Boeing 777, had incredible clients like, uh, like Boeing, Illinois Toolworks, Siemens. And it was incredible. And from that point off, he, he also changed. He was also at all my recitals, all my cross-country meets, all that. And so when he passed away, in 2012, at his wake, it was at a time where two years earlier, I'd kind of fired all my clients and made all this more money and I had more freedom. But at his wake, grown men, 80 years old, they're in tears. That incredible career I mentioned, no one mentioned it at all. No one mentioned anything in, it is, in his career. It was all about husband, father, volunteer in the community at our church. He was president of the University of Notre Dame Club, all that stuff. And it was like a slap in my face. And I was like... Here he had done this. He had shown me the example. And here I am. I was having anxiety attacks at the time. I was 45 pounds heavier than I am now. I was on prescription drugs. Didn't see my wife and kids, even though I worked from home. And so at that point, I was like, all right, you know what? I got to add fulfillment to the freedom. And that started the journey, which leads me to where I am today. Yeah. So I'd love to dive into that story a little bit deeper. You know, your your dad, you know, starting this second career, reinventing himself. Did that give you any sort of entrepreneurial bug? I know that you went into corporate initially. Was, you know, entrepreneurship always your end game or not really? I wanted to be an entrepreneur and work for myself since as long as I can remember. He was he would travel a lot and 
I was very close with my mom because my dad, when he reinvented himself, it meant he was on the road in Jackson, Mississippi at the Siemens plant for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He was home on the weekends, but he was still never miss. He would always, you know, my, my Saturday games, he was always there. And so it was this thing where he traveled, but he had built enough fulfillment in his life that I felt like he was always there. But I also got caught up, oh, he's traveling. He's going to the, not that Jackson, Mississippi at the time. I knew nothing about it. I've been there since numerous times, great city. But to me, it was like, oh, he's traveling. He's doing this. He's, you know, at the same time, my mom had a steady job, worked her butt off. I was very close to my mom, but they made it feel like I I never missed anything. But I did get that entrepreneurial bug. You know, my brother, who's 20 something years older than me, he went off and started his own company. And so, yeah, for as long as I can remember, even in my 20s, you know, when I decided I wanted to work for myself, people were like, why? You've never been VP of anything. You've never been president of anything. I said, I don't care. I'm going to go work for myself. And I had four clients like right off the get go because I made deals with people and said, you know, one client, one person I was working for, or the, the, the organization I was working for, I said, why don't I hire you as a client? And I'll keep doing a lot of what I'm doing. They're like, great. I did a lot of deals like that. And I had four clients and then continued to grow it. But I never liked working for other people. I still don't. If I, I told my wife I'd get a job at, you know, slinging coffee, not there's anything wrong with that, but I would do that before I ever went to work for someone else as a part-time job and use the second half of the day to make stuff happen. And so I've always been an eat what you kill type person. I love that. And, you know, I think one of the really important points that you made is, you know, the fact that you weren't waiting for someone to give you permission. You know, that person asking you, but you've never been a VP. Who cares? <laughs> you know, I mean, there are so many excuses we can come up with in our mind for why we're not ready for something or we don't have the qualifications or we're not prepared. But at the end of the day, no matter what you're looking to do, there are guaranteed hundreds, if not thousands of examples of people who did it successfully with less qualification than, than you had. And so, um, you know, I think just uh, trusting yourself and not waiting for these really just, uh, I don't even know what the word is. I mean, just not unnecessary, but just almost irrelevant, you know, qualifications from other people is really important. Yeah, in my uh, training groups, one of the biggest uh, limiting beliefs that folks have is I'm not worthy. And, you know, what, 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 who am I to start my own business? Who am I? You know, they feel this false sense of safety and security working for someone else. Joe Peachy, I recently had him on my podcast. He's ranked like the number three sales trainer in the world. And one thing he said is, believe in everyone, count on no one. And that's not really, when you think about it, it's not a pessimistic view of the world. It's just, listen, if you learn to bet on yourself and count on yourself more, it's going to build that abundance mindset. That abundance mindset and cultivating it is so important. And for years, I had a scarcity mindset. You know, I wanted to get out of my agency, but I can't. I'm trapped in the agency. I'm trapped by the money. There's a lot of people in our lives and in society, I call them scarcity pimps. They are people in our family who might say, well, and th this is actual things I, I see in my training groups. Well, you work so hard and we spent so much money for that bachelor's degree in accounting. Why do you want to switch and be a insert here, right? Whatever it is. Well, because I want to control my own life. I don't want to do finance anymore. I don't want to do accounting anymore. Or there are those people in your life, you know, listen, you're successful. You've made good, some good money. So you're going to go travel to Europe. And you think, oh, I can't post pictures of that because this person or that person is going to see it on Facebook. And, and by the way, not the posting social media 
is anything big. But you back in the back of your head, what are they going to think? They think, oh, it must be nice. They must be lucky. They, may, they must be privileged to be able to do that. That's the scarcity talking and the people. There's enough of them in our lives that make you feel that way and can make you feel guilty about wanting more. It, it beats you down. And so you, you got to guard against them and it, because it's like, a, it's like a virus that can infect you and, and keep you from doing exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's such an, it's an ongoing process, right? We never really, there's no other side where all of a sudden this stuff just doesn't affect you. I think you, you just get better and better at managing it. Um, you know, when you're talking, it, it even reminded me of something that happened pretty recently with my brother. Uh, I mentioned to him, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, plans coming up. And I mentioned that my fiance and I are going out to Yosemite National Park to take engagement pictures. And he goes, Oh, you, like, you probably shouldn't tell people that. And I'm like, why? He's like, well, it just sounds a little pretentious. And it's like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's, it's these, these things that people, you know, not from a bad place, you know, he wasn't trying to make me, you know, feel bad or feel guilty. But, you know, when, when someone is just, you know, they haven't created that in their life where they're able to go, you know, do something like that, it's a lot easier to kind of make you feel bad about it than it is to justify, you know, why they're not traveling or, you know, working for themselves or, or, you know, living life kind of on their own terms. And it's certainly not to say that being an employee is bad. You know, there are are plenty of people who have zero desire to be an entrepreneur and, and that's absolutely great. But, you know, I think it's, it's to a large degree, just about auditing who you take advice from and making sure that who you're listening to, you know, are people who are on the same path as you or, you know, somewhere that, that you want to be. Yeah, I, I just did a, an interview with Professor Anthony Davies. He's at Duquesne University, and he he gave us a, a talk recently called "Why the World Is Becoming a Better Place." And I wanted to have him on there because, in fact, when you look at poverty, it's decreased at a faster rate over the last fifty years than any time in human history. Violence, same thing. The environment has gotten better over the last fifty years, but if you watch cable news, if you watch your friends on Facebook, if you listen to whoever you would think all of those things are getting worse and they're actually not. And realizing that, you begin to have that abundance mindset. You know, I like to say that our life is made up of the deliberate choices we make. And a lot of folks will say, well, that's just mean. What about someone in war-torn Africa or someone born into this and that? And the reason they go to extremes right off the get-go is because they can't actually have a meaningful conversation about this. I, You know, I talk about not only my business success a lot, but I talk about business success of others and building that life of freedom and fulfillment. And quite frequently, people will comment on my video on Facebook or LinkedIn, well, you could at least acknowledge your privilege. Now, I know the word privilege now has greater political whatever meaning. No one has ever said that to me that isn't like white middle class. And it's like, okay, okay, listen, you know what? If you're born in the United States, even if you're United States poor, you're like in the top 1% in the world. So yeah, we're all privileged. Does me saying I'm privileged make you feel better? Maybe it makes you feel better, but does that actually make you better off? And there is such a focus on what other people have. It's envy, plain and simple. Uh, Steven Pinker in his book, Enlightenment Now, talks about this. And, and Steven Pinker's like, 
not some right-wing libertarian. He's like a professor at Harvard, liberal. And he tells this story. It's an old Soviet joke. It's about Igor and Boris. I can't remember which one, but they're in Soviet Russia and they are allotted the same amount of land to farm. So they have the same income, except Igor has a goat. So Boris doesn't like Igor because they're all equal except for the goat. So he's granted one wish. What does he wish for? That Igor's goat shall die. Oh no, I was, I was going to say- He doesn't want to go. No, that it's, you see this all the time, right? And, and that's the scarcity mindset taking over. Yeah, you could say people don't, they don't mean you harm and they don't, but in their own way, they are doing harm to you. And that's why you have to tune them out. You have to get off social media, tune out. I do a low information diet, Tim Ferriss calls it where, listen, my agency used to be in political work, public affairs work. I used to be the person sitting there watching cable news, getting angry. It infects your mindset. We don't allow any news. You know what? I still know everything that's going on, but now I laugh at it. It's like, all right, that jackass said this, this jackass said that. I'm building a company. So like I'm building a life. But even me saying that, I did a video about that. One of the first comments was, you know who else, who also had your mindset? Businesses in Nazi Germany. And that mindset allowed, I said, okay, you know what? I'm tuning you out at this point. But that's the scarcity mindset. You can see it on display every single day. Worrying about other people does not make you better off. I couldn't agree more. Well, you know, I want to, Kurt, kind of dive into the part of your story where you mentioned, you know, you were overworked, overwhelmed, uh, you know, just not not enjoying your business, not feeling that that fulfillment. And you said you ended up firing half of your clients and, and really making some drastic changes. And so, you know, I think for a lot of listeners of this show, you know, really just business owners in general, it's a common scenario where you start this business to get freedom and then you find yourself, you know, a prisoner of, of what you've created. So, you know, take us to that point in your story. You know, what was your mindset and what did you do? Yeah. So my mindset was I was overwhelmed and frustrated. I mean, I'd get up early. I'd go up into my home office. I had, uh, for a little bit, I had a business partner, but I had members of my team that were remote. Some of them were 10 miles away, but they were still remote. But even though I worked at home, like I'd get up early, I'd go up into my home office, I'd disappear. I'd come down for dinner. Hey family, I'd eat dinner. I'd go back up. I'd come back down early in the morning. I'd sleep for a few hours. I'd get up, I'd do it all over again. You know, I was taking money as people offered it. As I would put together, I didn't really have a clear idea of what I charged and what I'd offer. So they would almost offer me money and say, yes. And I'd bend over backwards. And like you and I, I can't remember if it was offline or on here, you know, the lowest paying clients took up most of my time. You know, the highest paying clients did not. But I let my clients rule, uh, rule my life. They emailed me at 11. At night, I replied at 11. They needed me to do anything, I would do that. Now, a lot of people sit here and think, well, the customer is always right. You got to do what you got to do. What I learned were clients are very Pavlovian. If you answer emails at 11 at night, they're going to expect. I actually did a test where I surveyed people on LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, this was a while ago. So whatever was existing at the time, I sent it out. And it was like 40 people, lawyers, doctors, teachers. What do you think is a reasonable time to respond to emails? The median came out to two and a half hours. Some people said 24 hours. Some people... And so I was one of these people who constantly had to respond as they came in. Oh, wow. I became more productive simply by batching my emails every two and a half hours. But I fired a lot of my clients who simply were a-holes, you know, and just, just 
taking over, not, uh, they didn't respect me. They weren't paying me the value that I was giving them. That was on me, but I said goodbye. And so now some of them, I said, all right, we're going to re-up, but here's what I'm going to do. We can't do that. All right, goodbye. The next year, I made more money. Working with less clients, it was more fulfilling. And you know, like a lot of business owners, I jumped in and I didn't have a clear vision for who I was. If you had asked me who am I, I, I couldn't even answer that question. I used Gallup Strengths Finder to get into my strength zone. You know, I was working in my weaknesses zone every day. I often have people in my workshops with their dominant hand write the, write the sentence, I use my strengths every day three times. And they say, all right, great. And it takes like 10 seconds. Now put it in your other hand and write those three. It takes like a minute. I hear moans, groans. It's sloppy. It's illegible. That's working within your strength zone. Except, you know, are you a learner? Are you a strategic person? Are you more analytical? Are you an executor? Are you more of an influencer? You figure out those things and you work within your strength zone as much as possible. So you're right, doing the equivalent of writing with your dominant hand all day instead of doing the equivalent of what we do is writing with your non-dominant hand all day. That's when you grind. That's when things aren't as fun. So I instilled a lot of those pieces and was able to cut the work, the amount of work I did. I outsourced it so I know what my weaknesses are. I was doing bookkeeping. I was doing all these things that I hate. I'm horrible at. It would take me two hours, whereas if I hired someone else, yeah, it would cost two, 300 bucks, but it would take them a half hour. So you got to look at the opportunity costs. That's, I'm saving myself basically an hour and a half of work. That's money. I instilled a, a number of those things and those processes you know, a lot of those remain today in how I train other entrepreneurs as well, but I've added in the fulfillment part to that. So how did you, you know, when you came to this realization that you were lacking fulfillment, that you weren't, you know, seeing your family as much as you wanted, whatever it was, what did you, what did you do? You know, what were the action steps that you took or, or did it take some time for you to kind of turn that realization into action? Took me some time. You know, my dad's awake. I was like, all right, this is going to change. And then nothing changed because I didn't know what I wanted to do, didn't know where I wanted to go. And in 2017, um, I had begun for several years side hustle coaching. People are like, hey, you're an entrepreneur, you build an agency, you do this, you know, you've got some time, you've got the freedom, can you coach us? The more I coached, on the days that I coached, I realized this is what I was meant to do. I always had this feeling like I was supposed to save the world, the superhero play, my dad, seeing him do this. And I was like, I'm not saving the world. But when I coached, I felt that way. But I had the fear, well, I'm, make, I'm still making seven figures. So I had like a four-year plan. I'm going to ramp down the agency and ramp up the coaching, right? And that four-year plan, quite honestly, could have kept going. Oh, I'll wait another four years. I'll wait another four years. And I'd be 65. and like, well, I'm out of time. Now I'm going to retire maybe. But I don't, you know. In 2017, I got a coach. And uh, his name's Fraser Cameron. To coach me on being a better dad not work, not business. He, he runs a program called Epic Dads. And I didn't feel like I was being an epic dad. And we really started talking about what's my vision and what's my... He didn't call it vision. We talked about purpose and those types of things. And I really had to define the guiding star I had for my life. A lot of people come up maybe with a vision for their business, but their vision like diverges from where their personal vision is, if, you, if they even have one. So I defined my vision as I, I want to save the world by helping individuals fight for lives of freedom and fulfillment. Well, I didn't feel like I was doing that with, what, with my agency. And it really came to a head. One day I woke up. It was a Tuesday morning. It was Thanksgiving week. I was supposed to have the week off on vacation. All my clients knew that. I had told them very specifically. But that didn't stop them from emailing, from calling. Send us that report. Can you get us that email? Can you hop on this conference call? And I woke up Tuesday morning. I just remember opening my eyes. I remember it was like it was yesterday. And I was like, I'm done. That's it. Wow. And I'm like, okay, well, now I got to tell Julie, my wife. 
And, you know, I was this, this man and I'm, I, I'm supposed to keep everything and be the strong, tough one. And so for all these years, I'd bottled it up. I had anxiety attacks, all these things, guilt. And I went to her and I said, Julie, I, I'm done. I just can't do it anymore. And she looked me in the eye and she said, oh, it's about time. Wow. And I was like, what? She's like, yes. Are you kidding me? For like eight years, you know, you don't, we don't notice the anxiety. T- I mean, some of the anxiety attacks were bad. I had to get her to get the kids out of the house because I couldn't stand the sound of their voice which to me now, it, it doesn't make me feel guilty. For a while it did, but now I'm like, I use that as an example to help other people not go through it. So I had that realization, my four-year plan turned into a four-week plan. And I was like, wow, well, I guess I got to build this coaching business from scratch. And I did. I did six figures in the first year. We're going to double that or more than double that this year. And speaking around the world, you know, I had to, I had, I jumped off the Titanic without a life preserver. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, when you back yourself into a corner like that, you know, you have no other option but to make it happen. So, you know, I think that that's, uh, that's sometimes the, the best move for, um, you know, for people as long as they're in that position of, of being able to bet on themselves in the way that you talked about earlier. You know, if you have confidence in your ability to just take every obstacle that comes and, you know, and get over that one obstacle and then look towards the next, then, you know, you will eventually get to, to where you're going. So, you know, I'm curious then, Kurt, for people listening to this podcast who don't feel like they have, you know, freedom in their business, they don't feel like they, you know, have fulfillment. You know, what would you say to those people? And then also, you know, what does your business look like now? How do you help those people, you know, through through everything you do in your company? Yeah. So what I would urge you to do is, and, and you mentioned that, you know, getting backed into a corner, I call it a comfort zone of misery. Henry David Thoreau called it a life of quiet desperation. And the quiet desperation is almost more dangerous than loud. Because when you're loud, you get backed in the corner and you either got to, it's fight or flight. You got to do something. You have to deal with it. The quiet desperation, you know, that started for me back in 2012, 2011, and it six years of it. Some people go till they're 65. And so to get out of that, to take action, some action, even admitting to yourself, sometimes that's the most difficult action. I put together five steps. I call them the five pillars of the freedom lifestyle. First, it's cultivating a sense of abundance. This isn't even one of the pillars, but every day when you wake up in the morning, ask yourself, what's awesome about today? And what will make today even more awesome? Do that every single day. But the first pillar is superpowers. It's getting into your strength zone, finding out what those talents are. You know, your dominant hand versus non-dominant. You invest in those talents, you turn them into strengths, you amplify them, you get in your superpower zone every day. So you're doing what comes naturally to you, more profitable, you're more efficient, things flow. The second pillar is vision. Identifying that clear one to two sentence vision for your life, that guiding star. Whether you die in 20 minutes or 20 years, what do you want to be said about you that pairs your purpose for living with the impact you want to make on the world? And by the way, these are difficult to come up with. Um, Number three is alignment because a lot of people are seeking work-life balance and it doesn't exist because there's just life. It's not like work's over to the right and life's over to the left. There's just life. So there's three facets of your life, relationships, self, and work. And so you have to figure out alignment in a way that works for you. The next pillar is outcomes, becoming radically outcomes focused. So you take that vision, you reverse engineer it. So every year, every month, every week, every day, you know just three outcomes you need to achieve to win each day, each week, each year. And by winning, it's moving you toward your vision. You know, life knocks you on your butt, right? It's easy to get back up. If you don't have a guiding star, there's five paths, you take the wrong path, you go down that for five years, or you bounce around life from objective to objective, like a pinball. With that vision, it pulls you along. 
and it acts as that guiding star. And the fifth pillar is flow, and it's the cumulative effect of the first four pillars where you, you are working in your superpower zone. We know things come more easily. You have those key goals that you need to achieve every single day. You know what it takes to win each day. That's how you get in the state of flow. And a lot of the, I like to call them hustle and grind pornographers out there, the gurus <laughs> who say, you know, you just got to grind more, sleep when you're dead. <laughs> well, a lot of people listen to that. And yes, you can work hard. You can work hard while working smart because a lot of people listen to those messages and they fit three hours of work into a 14-hour day. And they wonder why they're stuck in the mud. So flow is very important. But those are the five pillars. And you know, I, I, I encapsulated it all in a book that's coming out on September 24th, Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle. The first part of the book are actually stories of people who have been on my podcast who have broken, either broken free from their life of quiet desperation, from suicidal to ultra marathons and climbing Mount Everest, from the job where their son asks them, why are you grumpy all day, to now traveling Europe with their families. And then some people like Don Wetrick, who's working with teenagers to help them. He built an innovation lab at the high school and now is outside of the school trying to basically, I call him a guerrilla warrior from inside the antiquated school system, trying to blow it apart to get people before they're 40 and 45 and realize they're in that life of quiet desperation, get them while they're 15 to put them on the path of fulfillment so that they don't waste any time. So that's the first part of the book. The second part is that roadmap, the five pillars and how to adapt it to your life. Congratulations on the book. That is massively exciting. And by the time this interview uh, releases, that book will have just come out. So you know, for anyone listening to this podcast who wants to get a copy, where should they go? You can go to, so it'll be available on Kindle and some other places. I don't know, there's a two, three week timeline on that. I'm not sure when, but if you go to five pillars of freedom, Dot com. You can find out more of the book. You'll be able to order it, sign up for updates, all that good stuff. Incredible. Well, you know, Kurt, I know that I personally have gotten so much out of this conversation and I know that our listeners will as well. So thank you so much for doing this and, you know, and for really sharing your, your knowledge and everything that you've learned and, and what you share on the Freedom Club podcast. You know, I, I really want to encourage everyone listening to this right now. You know, once you're done with this episode, go over to, you know, search for the Freedom Club podcast on iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts and check out Kurt's show. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Pointed. And Kurt, before we say goodbye, where else can people go to you know, keep up with you with what you're doing and you know, follow your content? Yeah. You know what? If you go to fivepillarsoffreedom.com, it's a landing page on my site. Quite honestly, that's easier to spell than my last name. So if you go there, <laughs> you will be able to click and find all my content and podcasts. So thank you so much for the shout out. I'm going to make sure to give you a shout out and your podcast a shout out in all my content. And it's been a pleasure being here with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to genuinely thank you for giving me this gift of your time and attention. I know how valuable that is, and so it truly means the world to be able to spread this message with you. Now, if you are getting value from this podcast, the most helpful thing you can do is to leave a five-star review and share this with your friends. Post a screenshot to your Instagram stories or even text the link to someone specific that you think would find value in this also. So with that, I hope this episode has inspired you to do well and do good. And I'll see you back here next week.